learning needs to happen in relation with other people and with nature. In other words, learning to thrive is by definition a communal practice. As voices the professor. Aswat al-mu'allimun. Lawusi ya'wa'i. Teachers' voices. Hello and welcome to a new series of Teachers' Voices, the podcast made from the stories of teachers from around the world talking in their own words. Teachers' Voices is produced in partnership with Mold, the digital platform on learning and development. I am your host, Nina Alonso. I'm an educational researcher, and for the past 10 years, I have been devoted to improving equal access to education. I have been listening to teachers and researchers from across the world share their experiences of supporting young people in their mental, emotional, and physical development. And in each episode, I'll bring you their inspiring stories alongside practical tips and resources. So if you're interested in how children learn and develop, please subscribe. I'd like to begin this new series with an episode all about taking a holistic approach to young people's sense of self and exploring how it connects with nature and wider society to create a community of learning. This is something I discussed with a special guest, Ross Hall. Ross is co-lead of the Learned Society's portfolio at the Jacobs Foundation, where he works to model approaches to creating thriving learning ecosystems. We'll hear from Ross in just a moment. In this episode, we will also listen to the inspiring stories of two amazing teachers who will share with us how their teaching practices allow them to support the collaboration between students, schools, and communities around environmental protection. Manuela from Portugal told me about project-based learning approaches and hands-on activities, and Barbara from Japan shares her interest in providing opportunities for students' inquiry and choice when working collaboratively for sustainable development. But first, let's welcome our guest, Ross Hall. Hello, Ross. Thanks for being here today to help me introduce this new series of Teachers' Voices. Good morning. How are you today? I have a new mic and I'm recording from my apartment in Madrid, Spain, on an unusually warm morning. We're experiencing a heat wave and my poor black tar labrador is in carpet mode. I call Ross, who talks to me, from the green scenery in Zurich, Switzerland, where the Jacobs Foundation is located. It's right on the lake, which is very beautiful. I mean, it's a very privileged place to be. Then it's sunny, which also helps. And hills in the background. I mean, it really is quite beautiful. In this series of Teachers' Voices, we are highlighting the relevance of supporting young people's well-being of self, society and nature as an interconnected whole. I believe you use the concept of thriving. So for me, this word thriving or universal well-being is an umbrella term that I would use to denote the wholly interconnected, holistic well-being of all things, as well as the from an individual perspective, the holistic state of well-being of the individual in relation with everything that they influence and are influenced by, if that makes sense. Could you explain for us your understanding of thriving and its connection to a sustainable future? I had the 
tremendous privilege of traveling around the world and visiting schools and talking to kids and parents and teachers and school leaders and policymakers and everybody in between. And I was really struck very quickly by the idea that schools and school systems really aren't designed to help us all thrive together and that there is therefore a desperate need to transform school systems and to enhance human learning if we want to thrive. Um, In other words, to thrive together, if we want to move towards thriving together or to create a regenerative or sustainable world, we really need to learn to choose and act to thrive together. You are a passionate advocate of the importance of learning communities. Could you share with us your understanding of learning communities and how a learning community with a diverse range of skills and experiences can help children thrive and learn the skills they need for a more sustainable future? In order to learn to thrive together, we need to benefit from a wide range of learning experiences and environments. And that means that you need to involve a wide range of actors, people who are influencing experiences. So in other words, you need to take collective approaches to collective learning in order to learn to thrive together. And this is where you get into then the idea of the learning community or the learning ecosystem as a term that we often see being used or increasingly see being used. The learning ecosystem being a diverse community of actors who influence the learning of each other and other people who are adapting to the unique learning requirements of everyone in the system, recognizing that everybody has their own unique preferences and needs when it comes to learning. That community is not only therefore adapting to the unique learning needs of everyone in the system, but is also aligning very explicitly to the shared objective of learning together. You use the word weaving when talking about learning communities. What do you exactly refer to? To learn and work together is a process that requires what I would call weaving. It's a deliberate process of connecting people to a shared purpose, to connecting people to each other, to connecting people to themselves internally, and then to move from being connected with each other to facilitating collaborations and to facilitating learning so that the community is constantly adapting, iterating and evolving together so that the system is continuously improving so that more and more people are more and more effectively learning to thrive together, if that makes sense. What does research say about the relevance of learning communities with regards to educating children in sustainable development? Well, there's certainly substantial evidence that suggests collaboration and community approaches to improving education and learning and well-being are important. For example, there's some very strong research around the power of collaborative professionalism among teachers and how that can improve teaching and learning. 
there's significant evidence to show how family and community involvement in learning can raise learning outcomes and strengthen learning provision. There's also a significant body of evidence that shows how complex systemic change, which is required in education, of course, how this complex systemic change requires collective approaches. So there's lots of evidence, but I would say that the evidence needs to be developed and it needs to become a more coherent field of research. How can educators apply this kind of research in their daily work? How can teachers help to weave learning communities? So on the one hand, teachers can play, and I think must play, a critical role in helping people learn to thrive together. That involves helping other people learn to thrive and themselves learning to thrive so that there's this kind of modeling and learning guide approach to learning to thrive. So they can take kids out into the communities, into nature. They can help people really get this idea and really develop these deeper human qualities that we know are required if we want to thrive together. Uh, on the other hand, the teachers can themselves conduct action research on these pedagogical approaches, which I think is really going to be quite critical. And they can share their insights, their innovations with other teachers. They can do that in their own schools, within the community, with other teachers in other schools. Ross, can you think about a teacher who has inspired or left an impact in your work? I think the teacher who was most inspiring and influential for me and his influence continues to grow was my father. So he was a maths teacher, but he was much more interested in character development, connecting with nature, becoming a better person, social contribution and all of that stuff. I think he, in some ways he epitomized for me a subject matter teacher who was really more interested in holistic child development. Each week, we are going to ask teachers and researchers about the resources that they find most useful. Ross shared a recommendation for anyone interested in digging deeper into the ideas he talked about here. Uh, it's Designing Regenerative Cultures by Daniel Christian Val, which I'd highly recommend as a kind of a very... Um, broad but also very grounded perspective on the need or ways in which we can move towards a thriving world. Thanks to Ross for that recommendation. We'll hear more from him soon. Now, to think about learning communities in action, let's continue our journey in the southwest of Europe. Manuela teaches middle school students in Delgarve at the south of Portugal. She describes her working environment. Hello, Nina. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So we are in the south of Portugal. We are a public school. And of course, we don't have a huge budget. But still, we have teachers with lots and lots of will. Although we are in the city center, we can look through the windows and see lots of trees to make our school a little bit brighter For example, our arts teachers have an arts club and they 
involve the kids in decorating our schools. We have most of our classroom doors all painted by the students and the benches as well. So the school is quite inviting when you enter. Manuela is passionate about project-based learning and hands-on approaches. She wanted to describe a particularly rewarding teaching experience that she and her students developed as members of the network of European Blue Schools. This year, we had a project called Sufficient that we worked with a Romanian partner, and it's all about sustainable fish consumption. And one of the main reasons the, the kids decided to work on this project was they found, they identify a problem that they wanted to tackle, in this case, overfishing here in our city, Olhão, and the loss of some of our biodiversity as we know it nowadays. As they were the ones who selected the topic one issue that they, they saw as a problem and wanted to present some solutions, it was something that they could relate with, something that is very dear to them. It's part of their daily life because the majority of my students' families live from the sea. Okay, So most of them are fishermen, others work on the fish market, others have restaurants, you know, this is an economy that is very focused on the sea. So it's something that it's very dear to them. So they decided to start some research. We made several school trips where they learn lots about uh, how the, the fishing methods, about fish certification, about aquaculture and algae farming. And they made several several research works, and then they decided to organize a Blue Week. So the whole purpose of the Blue Week was to call and raise awareness, not only to the school community, but also to our local community, of how we should protect our ocean as a resource of food. And to organize our Blue Week, we had the support of our municipality, of lots of local organizations that donated the fish and the algae for our culinary workshop. And I think that's a quite important in any project we have to have a certain impact on the community. We should have partnerships with local authorities that will help you give visibility to the project itself. What Manuela told us resonates with what Ross describes about the importance of teachers building learning ecosystems. And the other thing that teachers are really well placed to do, in many places at least, is to actively engage families and community members so that everyone understands thriving as the ultimate learning objective, to support each other in learning to thrive together. Manuela explained how rewarding the experience was for the children that she teaches. And interacting with the locals, of course, not only with our school community, but they also were involved in another project that is going to be now in an exhibition that's a tapestry made out of all the marine litter that we 
covered during our beach campaigns. But that's something that is always a pleasure to see that reaction when they're involved in these uh, kind of projects, then they learn so much because it's a hands-on approach kind of way of learning. So it's even pleasant for them. So something that they actually can see and touch and be involved in. Oh, the most rewarding thing for me from all these projects is when I realize how much they grow during the process and how much they have fun sometimes doing it when they feel so proud to share their outcomes and their, what they learn with the, with the other students from uh, other countries and other realities. And of course, I'm always enjoying being with them. For example, when we have our virtual sessions with our partners, European partners, and they have to share what they have been working on, they are so proud to talk with other, with the other students and eager to know as well from them. So it's a situation where we learn with and from each other. And that is, I think it's the key to a successful project. Manuela shared some advice, tips and sources of inspiration for other teachers. Ah, I have a trick. I have a tip. <laughs> Because usually, usually, I get ahead of the problem and all the kids beforehand know their role. So they know that they are going to do this and this and this. Everybody will participate. Everyone will have a role and they will be responsible and accounted for. So they have to prepare themselves for the day. So everything is already decided. They know their role. And when the time comes, they just do it as according to their role beside it. One tool that I think it's very useful when you're working on an international or European level, it's always virtual sessions because it, I think it's important for the kids to see each other, to interact with each other and to really connecting real with each other. So in real time, getting the kids to be involved, I think it's quite important. I have a motto. <laughs> I have something that I, that I always say to my, my students that no action is too small and it's our duty to make our, our part. So get involved, be active and become real change makers. I do have an educator that inspires me a lot. That's a Belgium educator called Cohen Timmers that runs Climate Action Project since 2017. And I think he's quite resourceful. We leave Manuela in Portugal and from Europe we now travel to Asia, to Yokohama, Japan, where Barbara welcomes us to her school. Hi, hello, Barb. Hi, Nina. Good to talk to you. It's actually evening here. Our school is located along the Yokohama Harbor area, so it is on the water. 
there's kind of a riverfront walk and a park right next to the school. So you can see water, you can see some green space, but across the channel or canal, there's a lot of building and construction going on because they're building a brand new event stadium there. I teach in a variety of different classes because I move around between the student classrooms and the science labs since I'm a science teacher. The younger children's play area is down below so we can hear the kids. It's very noisy. So it can sometimes be distracting for the students and teachers. But yes, there's a lot going on outside of our window. Barbara is a science teacher who came into the teaching profession more than 20 years ago from a previous career as a marine biologist. As an educator, she brings her previous knowledge and passion about environmental issues and wildlife protection to her practice. She tells us about an important moment in her teaching career. Actually, the kind of big life-changing event in relation to that was when my principal one year gave me this opportunity to take students to the Global Issues Network Conference. It was the first one in the Asian region. So I took a group of six kids to Beijing to attend this conference. And it was an incredible experience, not just for environment, but for social issues as well. One of the things I learned from that was really trying to engage students and support students in their own approaches to setting up projects to address these issues. And my area of preference was working on environmental issues. So I really became a coach in supporting students and engaging in environmental issues that they were passionate about and designing service-related projects that they could do that would basically be supportive for local or regional or sometimes even global types of environmental issues. As I did with Manuela, I always like asking educators about a teaching experience that they like to share because it was particularly rewarding for them and for their students. Barbara, who has been a teacher in schools from different countries and continents, tells us about something her students did in the occasion of the Global March for Elephants and Rhinos when she worked at an international school in Ghana. The students at my school helped me organize an event where we invited local and international schools in Accra, Ghana to come and join us. And we had guest speakers to talk about deforestation and forest issues, wildlife issues in Ghana. It was just a really important engaging event where the students took charge of most activities that we were involved in. And there's always those fears and doubts that the kids have, you know, can they actually make something like this occur? Do they have enough skills and abilities to make it become a reality? And so my job as a teacher is to really give them the confidence in themselves And I don't tell them what to do, but I ask them guiding questions to help them figure out the right way to go about setting up events or designing booths or um, organizing shifts for people to work. And what I do see is when we do events like this, the children gaining confidence 
and being really impressed with their own abilities and what they're able to accomplish in organizing an event like this. There's always this excitement and enthusiasm in sharing their passion. And also during the event, it was mainly the kids that were involved in interacting with community members and helping to guide them to the different activities. I asked Barbara how the lessons that she learned from this kind of experience could be useful for other teachers. Ghana was not the first place where I engaged in that. I would say Thailand was the first job having gone to this Global Issues Networks conference, but now it's something that I do all the time. So I think the lessons I've learned from when I was in Thailand and when I was in Ghana is that I don't direct the the students, but I actually serve to promote student agency to help them become empowered and confident in their abilities to run these kind of activities. And I'm trying to engage them in becoming change makers than me showing them how to be change makers. Barbara also shared some advice, tips, and sources of inspiration that make her life easier as an educator. Well, I think the best practical advice is to really promote student agency, is to try and put the learning into the hands of the students, because if you force them to guide their own learning, they become more engaged. And I think the learning sticks better. I've in the past year gotten really involved with an organization known as Learning That Transfers. And they have some really phenomenal teaching strategies and a great scaffold to help teachers design learning activities to help the kids really learn and understand concepts, be able to connect concepts to each other, and then transfer that understanding from an educational setting to addressing real-world issues. They've got courses that they run, and they've got some free resources on their website as well. One of my favorite podcasts that I uh, get great inspiration from is called The Cult of Pedagogy. I also get inspiration from connecting with educators through social media. I'm on Twitter. I uh, engage in a bunch of Facebook groups. And one of the things I love about these is that educators are helping to mentor and support each other for free. So it's a great way to empower each other because we're sharing our common knowledge. Manuela and Barbara are both passionate about the power of collaborative networks and what that can achieve. Strengthen bonds between students, teachers, and the natural world, both locally and on a global level. Stories like Manuela's and Barbara's show a dual aspect of the term learning ecosystem. They make us think of ecosystems both as coherent learning communities and as educational systems connected to the natural environment. These teachers' stories show how by facilitating collaborative learning experiences in the natural world, teachers can strengthen and widen the learning ecosystem of their own school environments. Listening to Barbara's and Manuela's shared idea of engaging young people in becoming change makers makes me realize how building strong ecosystems create opportunities for young people to become independent and lead. And in our next episode, I'll be looking at how young people are getting their voices heard 
through activism. Thank you for listening to Teachers' Voices. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can find more about the teachers and Ross Hall on bold.expert and in the show notes. Please don't forget to follow us and engage with us in conversations. Send in your feedback and suggestions by email, podcastteachersvoices at gmail.com or on social media. You can also write a review on your favorite podcast platform. Let's keep on building learning communities while preaching research and practice. <laughs>